gospel lesson is from the gospel of Mark, chapter 11, the first 11 verses. So let us listen again for God's word to us. When Jesus and his disciples were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They said to them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. And he went out to Bethany with the twelve. These are the words of Scripture. Thanks be to God. President Vladimir Putin of Russia is famously concerned about his image. Kiosks in Russia sell posters of him looking macho. He rides a horse bare-chested. He scuba dives. He carries a rifle with a, a hunting scope. He's victorious in martial arts. He clearly wants to be known as a man's man, the very image of masculine authority. This is why the government of Russia outlawed photograph number 4072, which depicts Putin wearing makeup and false eyelashes and lipstick. Authoritarian rulers do not take well to mockery. They never have. You know, the United States has used mockery as a tool against our enemies. Part of our anti-Nazi propaganda in the Second World War included spreading a rumor that Hitler survived an attempted assassination plot. The bomb that was meant to kill him merely blew his pants off. The idea was to plant in people's minds the mental image of Hitler standing there with his pants blown off. And that was to undermine the image of him as the stiff-armed, invincible-looking Nazi. Well, today we celebrate Palm Sunday, which is many things, including mockery. Jesus rides into the city on a donkey. The crowds are his people. They're the ones that have been following Jesus in large numbers. They're on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Jewish Independence Day. That's what Passover was. Passover celebrated independence from slavery in Egypt, the Egyptian Empire. You can imagine that the authorities might be tense about large crowds of oppressed peasants commemorating the history of their liberation, especially since the Roman Empire was now their master. 
they were tense indeed. Every year during Passover festival, Governor Pontius Pilate and a whole unit of Roman troops marched into Jerusalem on their big white war horses to tamp down any thoughts of revolution. And so far, it was working. What was Jesus doing on that donkey that day? This whole scene was not spontaneous. It was pre-arranged. Mark tells us all about the setup with the donkey and its colt. In fact, most of this story is about the donkey. Jesus was riding a donkey into the capital city, accompanied by cheering crowds singing hymns of praise. They're waving leafy branches as their ancestors had done in another historic occasion of liberation and naming Jesus the son of David, which sounds a lot like calling him the heir apparent. But he is on a humble little donkey instead of a big white horse. And it looks like mockery. In fact, some scholars suggest that Jesus timed his humble entrance to coincide with Pilate's pompous parade coming into Jerusalem from the opposite side. The contrast would have been obvious. Everybody knows in those days what to expect when a new ruler comes to town. There's a grand entry parade accompanied by cheering crowds, and there would have been acclamations of musical hymns followed by speeches of welcome by the local elite who were positioning themselves for positions of power in the new administration. There would have been a sacrifice at the temple as the newcomer takes power. So Jesus makes his grand entrance, but there's no welcoming elites making speeches. The local aristocracy has long been allied with King Herod, the Roman client king, so they share Rome's anxiety about peasant revolutions. Jesus goes to the temple, but not to make sacrifice. He goes to the temple and assesses the situation. Soon he will return to shut it down, at least temporarily, or shall we say symbolically. What's going on here? Jesus, from the beginning, has been proclaiming the kingdom of God. Jesus has been preaching the gospel, literally the good news, that there is an alternative to Caesar's kingdom, an alternative to Herod's kingdom. Most historical Jesus scholars agree that it was that donkey ride and then what Jesus did in the temple that got him killed. The Roman governor and the local elites both got the message that they were being mocked. The crowds were huge, and they felt threatened. It appears that they took about a week to decide how to act. Probably they were trying to figure out if Jesus' followers were armed for a revolt or not. And having concluded that they were not, all that the authorities had to do was go after Jesus. In the case of violent movements, the Roman policy was that you find and kill everyone involved. For nonviolent movements, you just have to take out the one at the top, as they had recently done with John the Baptist. According to the Gospels, Jesus expected the reaction he got. He understood that an open 
in direct confrontation with the powers that be could be fatal. But he also believed that the oppressive powers had to be confronted. And he did not let the prospect of death deter him. Last week, remember, we remember that Jesus said, unless a seed is buried in the ground, it remains alone. But if it is buried, it bears much fruit. To quote from another protest movement, they tried to bury us. They didn't know that we were seeds. We are here today on Palm Sunday to celebrate. The Roman Empire has come and gone. The kingdom of Herod would not even have been remembered at all if it weren't for his role in the story of Jesus and the story of the kingdom of God. Today, we celebrate Jesus as our king. King and kingdom seem archaic, even quaint in these democratic times, but the title is perfect as a direct alternative to a political power structure called a kingdom, which is what Rome was called. But if the kingdom of God is a kingdom, then it is unlike the kingdoms of the world. The king rides a humble donkey. The king, instead of living off the backs of the peasants, feeds the multitudes. The king, instead of making life harder, shorter, and more difficult for the people, heals their illnesses with compassionate embrace. Instead of walling himself off in a guarded palace, he walks among the poor. He eats their food and he blesses their children and he reaches out to them regardless of their gender or their nationality or their purity status. This is called love. This is compassion. This is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. You cannot love someone who's hungry and not feed them. You cannot love someone who's a slave without working for their freedom. You cannot love someone who is suffering without asking why are they suffering. And once you know why, you cannot love without addressing the cause of their suffering. So it was not enough for Jesus to stay up in Galilee teaching and healing and showing the way of compassion. He had to go to the source of the plundering of the peasants and to mock it, saying, we do not accept your authority. God is king, and God wants justice. God wills liberation. God wills our liberation, too, in all kinds of ways. God wills our spiritual liberation from guilt-based, shame-based, fear-based religion. Jesus taught us to know God, as Abba, because God is love. God wills our personal liberation from discrimination, from exclusion, from alienation. Black, white, gay, straight, trans, successful or jobless or even homeless, God invites all of us without exception to the banquet table of an inclusive community as Jesus demonstrated. God wills our material liberation from oppression, injustice, and violence. Why, after reading the huge biblical narrative of the exodus from slavery in Egypt, did we not see this for so long? 
why, after Jesus' direct confrontation with Rome and Herod, did we think that it was just about personal salvation? The empires of this world have one ultimate weapon, death. And Jesus courageously stared down the power of empire to intimidate people into non-action by walking open-eyed into the jaws of death without embracing their methods of violence Jesus looked empire in the eye and said, God alone is king. So, if God is king, as Jesus taught us, then the standards of his kingdom can come true. It can be true that blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful and those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are those who work to make God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. If God's care can best be seen in creation by reflection on the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, then blessed are those who care for God's creation. And if Jesus rode a mocking donkey into the capital city on Independence Day and confronted the powers that be, then blessed are those who courageously bear the fruit of the seeds they tried to bury by killing him. Blessed are those who today confront the powers that be when they work against the values of the kingdom of God, when they try to suppress voting, when they try to limit access to health care to people who are trans, when they try to enact any kind of a law that makes life more difficult for the people at the margins. Today, we celebrate the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed and inaugurated. And so we still say, Hosanna, God save us. And we still say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord.